Kia ora, talofa, namaste, haere mai, and welcome to this week's episode of The Niche Cast. We're from The Niche Cache, and we've got a website, theniche-cache.com, where you can find big old Aotearoa sporting yarns, much of which we are discussing today. I've got a Aotearoa Warriors diary previewing the Cronulla Sharks game this weekend, as well as diving into New South Wales Cup and SG Ball club-wide wrap of all things Warriors footy. That is live on our website. We've got a uh, plenty of Ford Trophy and domestic cricket stuff happening on the website as well. Recapping Josh Clarkson's performance in the Ford Trophy final. Flying Kiwis is live on the website. We've got an all-whites recap live on the website at the moment. Lots of Kiwi sport to read about and digest on our website, thenews-cache.com. And for a little warm-up corridor here, I'm going to bust out the fizz dar, our radar of fizz. And I'm curious where you sit on the on a scale of 1 to 10 as far as Wellington Phoenix optimism goes, because I've got a number for the Warriors. And we're in two very different stages of the season, two different sports, two different competitions. But we're each going to drop a number on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being super duper fizzy. Zero being a serene lake of yuck. Because it's not very good to be zero on the Fizdar. As mu- as lovely as a serene lake is. Where are you sitting for the Wellington Phoenix? I would say... And we're talking blokes here, obviously, because the women have one more game left in their season. And it's an exciting game. It's a big game. Big weekend coming up for both of them. Double header against Melbourne Victory. But the blokes well, hold, are the ones Hold that with... thought. Hold that thought. Thought held? On a bigger picture scale, bird's eye view, where are you sitting with the Wellington Phoenix woman? On the Fizdar. With the women, considering they're probably going to get a second straight wooden spoon, although not necessarily. They do have a chance, thanks to a very good win in Adelaide. I would say the women are at a... The women are at about a six. I don't think you can get too fizzy about a team that's not competing for playoffs but I do think there's a good possibility next season with one or two additional signings like a import striker for example who can turn some of their chances into goals I think you find some of those one nil defeats might turn into one all draws or even two one victories and honestly the way they play is pretty competitive if they could just fix that final third thing a little bit more I do think there is a scope for them to get a lot more like to to improve their results a lot quicker than people realize. So it's not impossible they could get in the mix next year, but there's stuff to be done. So I'll leave them at a six. The men, yeah, I hold think. That, uh, hold on, hold on, okay. hold on. Warriors woman. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I'm going eight. Hmm. Because the Warriors woman not in action right now, but they have started to set up some foundations in Aotearoa for the Warriors women's team moving forward. They've brought in. Nadine Conlon is like a, to oversee the the development pathways and the women's program in Aotearoa. It's an eight as far as Fizz goes for the Warriors women's team. They were a good team prior to the pandemic, and now there are going to be legitimate development pipelines set up in Aotearoa. And also, side note, big up your dragons. Jamie Soward, yeah. he's recruited 
Racing McGregor to join her sister Paige McGregor. Racing McGregor, best half in the world for Women's Rugby League. And there's a young lady, Cortez Tepo. She um, came up through the system in Hawke's Bay, playing rugby union. She was scoring four tries, five tries a game for the Hawke's Bay team a few years ago. Now she's come across the league. She's been playing, I think, for the Bulldogs alongside Gail Broughton. And she's been signed by the Dragons. She looks very fast, so I'm excited to see her in action. Also, shout out to the Dragons. They got Riley Pascoe. I think he's from Greymouth. And he's starting halfback for the Dragons jersey fleet team. Similar hair color to Griffin Neen. <laughs> Fun fact. So you're sitting at a 6 for the uh, Wellington Phoenix woman fizz. I'm sitting at an 8 for the Warriors, which is based on no actual rugby league. Just optimism and fizz. Maybe the actual footy has held you back from going higher on the fizz for the Wellington Phoenix woman. Wellington Phoenix men, where are you at on the fizz duck? Well, coming into this season, I would have said an 8 or a 9. I think there's been some inconsistencies along the way, which have been a little bit frustrating. Um, however, I do think, like, Clayton Lewis is back now, played a couple cameos for the All-Whites. Ollie Sale, apart from one shocker with the uh, red card incident in the first game, which I still feel is his fault. More, he wasn't alone in culpability, but it was his fault more than anyone else's. But apart from that, I thought he was excellent in those games, especially the second game. Um... You could see how furious he was when he conceded the 92nd minute goal to spoil his clean sheet as well. I think he felt he'd earned that one. Um, he's been one of the inconsistent dudes. We saw that last time he played for the Phoenix. So you get that version of Ollie Sale for the rest of the season. You got Clayton Lewis back. Um, Oscar Zavada will be back again now. As, uh, I assume his wife's had their kid by at this point. It's, it's been a couple of weeks. Um, I'm leaning on a seven here. But if they can get two or three wins in a row, then suddenly a seven might just turn back into an eight leading into the actual finals, which is when the fizz matters the most. Don't agree, like, I don't agree that the fizz, the importance of the fizz changes. Based well, I'm on thinking finals. of from like a momentum perspective, right, yeah, like you want to be in, you want to be in good form, and the more form you show, and the more the fizz will rise. But you're right, you can't be expectant of these performances before they happen as well. So you can't get the fizz earlier, and you can't be fizzed about a, you you can have ample fizz prior to, whatever's going to happen, um, yeah. Because that's how I'm feeling about the Warriors, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. I've got the Warriors at a seven point five on the fizz dart. I'm enjoying what I'm seeing about the Warriors, and we'll get into that with their game against Cronulla Sharks. Um, we'll dive deep into all things Warriors' tough game against the Sharks coming up this weekend, though. But overall, Warriors starting the season, you can get into some stats, you can get into some vibe, you can get into eye test type of stuff with how many blokes are putting shoulders into tackles, um, you know how many blokes are bursting through the defensive line, line breaks, all that good stuff. There's plenty of fizz for the Warriors, and by the looks of it, maybe I'm just more fizzy than you. You know, maybe I'm just more up for the uh, the good vibes at the moment. You've you've got a six and a seven. I've got an eight and a seven point five. Of course, the Warriors are a bit cursed. Well, where, where were you, where would you have been on the Warriors this time a year ago, though? Zero. When there were no pipelines for the women and the men were losing games, right? So you're you're moving in an upwards trajectory, whereas I probably would have been 
certainly at the start of the season, I was saying I would have been higher on the Phoenix because I thought they would be a little bit more clinical. I still think they can get to be that side of them. I just have to see it before I can believe it at this point. But I expect they're going to make the playoffs. Like they're going to get a finals game. It's just whether they can get a home finals game. Um, so with this slight like trajectory differences there, like is a, a seven point a seven point five rising up from below is a different story to a, a seven where it was like an eight or a nine and it's just dipped a little bit, but it might get back up there, you know. Intiende. I understand. <laughs> that might be you understand, actually, but I don't know, because my Spanish is pretty shit I can't at the remember. moment. I'm, yeah, a bit rusty. But we're out here trying. We're out here trying to have a corridor, do the mahi, do the trabajo. We're out here from the niche cache. I don't actually know the Spanish niche cache. We just roll with the L niche cache to make it seem Spanish, and that's where you can head over to the Patreon page and join the Patreon Fano, patreon.com forward slash our niche cachet you know if you say it with a bit of a a twist then it comes across as more spanish at the moment on our patreon feed we've got the kiwi nro spotlight and we've got our black caps podcast which on tuesday also included all whites so on our patreon feed right now you can go in and check out some more videos we've got all whites breakdowns we've got black caps odi breakdowns and Monday was me reacting to the weekend of NRL footy. All that is there for the Patreon Fano every week. And if you don't care about any of that, you can just support the niche case with your generosity and keep us trucking along, doing the mahi, serving up some Aotearoa sporting content. Most of our, if not all of our income comes from the Patreon Fano, so it's the best way to support the niche case directly and you know let us know that you're out there and you enjoy this stuff that we do it's the best way to support the podcast the email newsletter via substack and our website you can support all of it directly on patreon patreon.com forward slash our niche cache and that email newsletter comes out every monday and friday evening the nichecache.substack.com you sign up and you get niche cache delivered straight to your email inbox on a monday and friday evening Got all the links to our latest yarns on our website. Got all the podcast stuff delivered in that email newsletter as well. And extra bits and bobs from the Aotearoa sporting landscape. Tomorrow is Friday, so I'll probably be diving deep into the Kiwi NRL team list to preview some stuff going on there. Probably got some domestic cricket that I'd like to talk about. I will be tracking those NRL Wahine signings over the next few weeks as well. Keeping a track of those. Wildcard's always scouring the Kiwi Sporting Vista for funky bits and bobs. You suck with these teasers, but are you going to tease anything for tomorrow's email newsletter? Well, I normally suck with the teasers because I haven't decided what I'm going to write about. But I do actually have some notes for this week ahead of time, so you've caught me on a good week. Uh, I thought I might have a little nudge on Alex Rufa re-signing with the Wellington Phoenix. There's some NBL uh, free agency news. I think the free agency might actually start tomorrow, but... Uh, for example, Corey Webster's had his option picked up by the Perth um, Wildcats, so he's staying there. I'm not sure about Ty Webster. They declined the option, but they they might still keep him as a as a free agent. But we'll see how that goes. I know Hiram Harris is going to be released by Adelaide, though, which clears up the path for what I was already trying to tease ahead of time. Breakers may get in on that one if um so. <laughs> Breakers um, break, what do you call him? Uh, 
Breakers Office folk have listened to our podcast before. We know this because they've pointed it out in the past. So if anyone's still listening, you know, the free tip on that one, go sign Hiram Harris, man. He's a perfect fit for that team. Most of which will be found in tomorrow's email newsletter via Substack, thenichecash.substack.com. Pick up the website, thenichecash.com as well. Mindfulness. What are you going to... I was thinking a lot because I, I have thrown up this up, this up before. Because you brought out the um, seeing the forest through the trees uh, line. I think you said that on uh, Tuesday for our Variety Show podcast. And that reminded me of seeing the, thru- the, seeing the fruit through the leaves. Same concept. Sometimes the leaves do a great job of camouflaging the, f- the fruit. So you can't see the fruit. But if you like seeing a forest through the trees, is that the correct way of saying it? Trees through the forest, forest through the trees. Uh, yeah, the forest through the trees, like the bigger picture. Yeah. You you might just focus on the individual individual trees and not realize they're part of a bigger, you know. You might I fo- think that's the logic behind the phrase. You might focus on the weed and you might miss the flower. You might focus on the mm-hmm. leaves and you might miss the fruit. Avocado trees are a particular. Tricky one for that with the green leaves and the green fruit, you know? Correct. But that, was, that, was, so that was last week's mindfulness. So what do you got today? Well, today, got a little ditty from everyone's favorite uh, Roman philosopher emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Just that you do the right thing. The rest doesn't matter. Nice and simple idea about... Um, Beauty. Yeah, about... Uh, yeah, I think people like to have... Well, we know people like to have, like human nature, people like to have patterns in their life and structure and ideas, and that's not always possible in a large, confusing world. Have a having a nice, um, a moral code to stick by, I think, is a nice shortcut to getting to that. Just you, and if you know what the right thing is, if you stick true to your own code, then things are simple. Decisions are easier to make and and whatnot. Um, Nice, easy way to get to that point, I think. As opposed to clutching at uh, random ideas and getting increasingly weird. So the Warriors are away to the Cronulla Sharks this weekend. And there is a pretty funky development story happening with the Warriors because Salu Miela Halasima, otherwise known as Leka Halasima, he was promoted from SG Ball up to the New South Wales Cup team, and he is named on the bench again this week for the New South Wales Cup team. I say this every time, it's amazing, but apparently he is 17 years old, and he's doing some good things there. So we're seeing... This has been a funky wrinkle to start the season. We're seeing some of these young blokes come into the New South Wales Cup team, and now we can see how much the pandemic impacted Warriors footy because they were putting five or six players into a Redcliffe Queensland Cup team now they've got a New South Wales Cup team that is strictly full of Warriors players so guys like Rocco Berry's returned to center you've got Ali Leotawa he's fantastic Moala Graham Telfer scored a hat-trick for the New South Wales Cup team and I've also been impressed with Sanele Augustino who's from Wellington uh, Zion Maiu'u you need to know about Zion Maiu'u that dude is a monster in New South Wales Cup one of the best New South Wales Cup middle forwards already. Kehlani Goings doing a really nice job at edge forward. He's also captain of the New South Wales Cup team. 
Um, Dimitrix Sufakul is playing on one edge. Now you've got... Uh, Isaiah Wagner has been pretty good as well. I like him. Big unit. And you've got Halasima coming off the bench. He's very mobile, very explosive. Uh, he started at center in the new NZRL under-18 clubs versus schools game. Now he's playing as a middle forward against men. That sounds pretty impressive. So that New South Wales Cup team's doing some good things. Both SG Ball and New South Wales Cup are playing against Western Suburbs, which is which flows into the Tigers system. So we won't have a club day against the Sharks or the Tigers because the Warriors are facing the Sharks. And this is a tough game. Sharks are really good. Not expecting a win. But there are some good signs here for the Warriors. And I think regardless of the result, I think you're going to see a pretty good Warriors performance. And I don't know, no one, like two evenly matched teams and no one really predicted that the Warriors were going to defeat the Bulldogs, which I found insane. I, it, no one expects the Warriors to defeat the Sharks this weekend. But based on what I'm seeing about Warriors footy at the moment, there's a decent chance they can defeat the Sharks. No Tamaita Martin. Ronald Volkman comes in. He's got the most kicking meters in the New South Wales Cup. He's uh, running the most of his reserve grade career. He's got his fifth for try assist. So he's had a good start in reserve grade. Interestingly, Tamaita Martin didn't really do much kicking. And Ronald Volkman's averaging like 300 plus kicking meters per game in New South Wales Cup. So I don't think he's going to he, yeah, his role in the halves with Sean Johnson is going to be interesting because I don't know if he's going to be like a Tamaire Martin version or if he's going to add his own flavor with a bit of kicking, bit of organization. Whereas Tamaire Martin, like, genuinely put shoulders into tackles. He was running the running the ball very well. He's a quick decision maker, so he was shining in that number six role. Ronald Volkman comes in. Curious to see what happens there. Wade Egan's back in dummy half. Tohu Harris is apparently going to play. Um, and I broke down a lot of the stats of these individual players, like Dylan Walker, Jazz Tavanga. They're averaging the most meters per game of their whole careers. You've got Chance Nickel Clockstart. He's back in the best Raiders pocket that he had between 2017-ish and 2019. So there's a lot of good stuff happening at the Warriors. And they are first in completions, 83%. Which is interesting when you consider what else the Warriors do well is pass the footy. And they're also eight for offloads. So they've got the best completion rate in the NRL. And they're one of the more eager distributing teams in the NRL. The, the Fords pass... Tohu Harris passes, Dylan Walker passes. They all like to shuffle it on to the next man. And they're mid-table for offloads, but their completion rate is high. And when you go to the New South Wales Cup team, they're also first for completion rate. And they are fourth for offloads. So this Warriors are offloading, but they're also first for completions in the NRL and New South Wales Cup, which is obviously and Andrew Webster style of uh, footy. And I've came, I encountered a bit of clarity about the Warriors. Because everything in the middle is passing forwards. 
But you also got power. You got direct runners. Adam Fanua Blake. Uh, Dylan Walker's an eager runner. Toe Harris can get a bit of footwork at the line as well. You might have Sean's Nickel Clockstar sniffing around the ruck. Wade Egan's very busy around the ruck as well. So in the middle, you've got passing and power. When you get out to the edges, you've also got passing and power. Because what are Jackson Ford and Marata Neokori, what do they do well? They are north-south runners. They're running straight and hard. And they're making a lot of line breaks. So it's working for them. Next level out, you've got Vilea and Pompey, who are running hard, busting tackles. And they're also very good passers. they got an offload. They can um, hit the winger on the outside of the opposition winger. So it's and at every level, like going across the Warriors' line from sideline to sideline, you've got powerful runners and passing. And like, if they're not missing many tackles, they are 12th for missed tackles. They've got no one in the top 50 for missed tackles, as we talked about last week. The Bulldogs... They had four players in the top 20 for missed tackles. Warriors have none. So you've got a Warriors team that is completing well. They are offloading. They're passing. They're defending well. And everywhere across the park, you've got dynamic runners who can also apply a little bit of skill. And as a baseline, like minimum marker of Warriors footy, I think that is quite encouraging. I don't know if it's going to be good enough to defeat the Sharks, because Nico Hines, your mate Nico, he is fantastic. Braden Hamlin, Ueli, Glenora Bears Jr., he's starting prop. Ronaldo Molotalo, LSD Eagles Jr. from Otara, he's fantastic. Britton Nikora from Tauranga, one of the best edge forwards in the in the league. You've also got Mawane Haroti from Taranaki, He's getting a lot of extended bench selections while starting at fullback in New South Wales Cup. The Sharks are a really good team with funky Kiwi NRL intrigue at all grades. You've got Felix Fartilli in SG Ball. You've got Trey Fotu from Auckland. Fartilli's from Christchurch in SG Ball. Jersey Flag, you've got Salisi Ata'ata, Odahuhu Jr. There's another dude, uh, Toatawa Parima. I think he's from Bay of Plenty or somewhere like Waikato. He's on the bench in Jersey Flag as well. So the Sharks are a great Kiwi NRL club. And I don't know if the Warriors can defeat them, but I am curious about how the Warriors deploy their footy against a good team. I'm assuming this one is... Um, this will be in Sydney, right? Seeing as they were home last week. Which automatically makes Correct. it a little bit trickier. Because if... Am I right they've played one away game so far and it was the Roosters game? Because that was their first game at Mount Smart against the Dogs, but they'd played in Wellington before that, hadn't they, In the at the start? They or defeated was, the Cowboys in Townsville. That's so right. That was there was a, I was trying to figure there must be another week in there. <laughs> Three games doesn't equal four rounds. But yeah, they did defeat the Cowboys in Townsville. Um, you you went to the Warriors game. Like, who did you? Who stood out for you apart from he who shall not be named? Um, probably, uh, probably the woman that was dubbed auntie in the crowd about three or four rows back, who was just full of great insight for the, um, for the players, you know, <laughs> run it straight and, um, don't make mistakes and refuse suck and all this stuff. Um, 
she probably dominated the discourse I, w- I would say in the in the area of the stadium where I happen to be um it's but as still... far as you watching the game with like what players stood out you know uh let me think um well the coolest thing I saw in that game was Josh Adokar blitzing 90 meters up the sideline and just outrunning everybody for the back of a scrum play as well that was nuts um for the Warriors in a funny way no one like it, it didn't strictly feel like a um it didn't strictly feel like a thing where it was like a couple of well I guess it goes back to what you're saying um running through some of those stats like if you're a team that doesn't miss tackles that doesn't mean one dude is out there carrying the defensive load that means everyone is carrying the defensive load if you're a team that has a high caliber of passing across the thing like from the middle of the park to the outside um edges and you still complete at a high rate that also suggests no weak links um although uh, like yeah were you gonna you wanna add to that this is why it's nothing to do with like hating on Sean Johnson or anything negative towards Sean Johnson. It's about challenging myself and all of us here to look beyond Sean Johnson. Because Sean Johnson is the person who the Aussies throw up as the hero. Sean Johnson is the person who cops all the blame when the Warriors lose in the local media and Australian media. And as a rugby league community, we can do a lot better than focusing everything about the Warriors on Sean Johnson. And it's quite easy to do right now because everyone's good. Everyone's playing their role. Sean Johnson's try, I put this video on Twitter and Instagram. It starts with a shift left to Tamari Martin. Quick decision. He goes back the other way, goes right. Tom Ale gets the ball. Our secret stash, who offers immense power and efficiency in the second half. Curious to see what he can do against the Sharks. He doesn't run for 10 meters, which is our average baseline we're always looking for. He runs for about 5 meters, lands on his stomach, quick play the ball, then Sean Johnson scores the try. So in that play, the Warriors went left, and then they went back right, got a quick play the ball, Sean Johnson scores. That's just working over the middles. The middles had to move one direction, move back the other way, they couldn't slow Tom Ale down, so they're trying to recover. Then it's Sean Johnson. And you can look like he had a nice pass to Viliami Vailea. Vailea had to def- like beat three defenders to score the try. Yeah, Sean Johnson, nice pass, nice sc- like scooting across the defensive line. But that's Vailea. And Vailea is really good at footy because he came from Tonga straight away in the Aurere first 15 straight away into the Warriors SG ball team. Like, he's really good. All these dudes are high pedigree players. You can go through the team list. They've all got some, like, representative honor or some elite junior thing about them. And everyone in the team is playing their role, and they're quite good. Like, they're all skillful. They're all powerful. They're all good defenders. And that's the thing that I'm enjoying about the Warriors. It's not like Sean Johnson is the savior. Sean Johnson is just a cog in the Warriors' wheel. And I love Sean Johnson. But like as a Warriors fandom, there's so much other fun stuff happening. That is where we need to look as to why the Warriors are one of the better teams in the NRL this season. 
yeah, I think there's because there's definitely been a tendency to um probably because the Warriors brought like the Warriors used to be this type of team where it's a little bit of like their results depend on whether or not Sean Johnson can do some hero ball stuff. And they weren't a very good team when that was the case. And then he left and played for the Sharks for a while and sort of, I mean, you, there's a definite argument you can say he played his best footy with the Sharks, even though he was coming off like a serious injury at the start of that, at the end of his Warriors stints. And it wasn't the same flashy stuff, so it not necessarily will get the same focus, but it was a lot more control, a lot more playing within a good team. And it's really probably just as simple as that, just playing in a good team. Um, he's in a pretty decent team at the moment. Like I, I'm certainly far too early to say they're any better than a good team. Like they're just at the moment they are they're a good team. They've got the foundations to potentially be better, but you got to give that time. Um, and they don't look like a team that lives or dies on the basis of whether or not Sean Johnson has a good game anymore. Like they they can win when he plays badly. They can lose when he plays well. It, He's no longer the main factor or anything like that. And that's clearly the best thing for him. It's just, I don't know, maybe it takes some catching up for the rest of us, but that's what you're saying. It's just its just a matter of, if you look at what's working, Sean Johnson isn't the definitive thing. But within that, he's had a, a, the last two weeks in particular, he's been really good. And that's really good on the back of a team that's setting things up nicely. And that's where it starts. Like, that's, that's where the... Um, that's where the prowess comes from. And that's a foundation of a solid competitive NRL team. And this early in a new coach's tenure, that's a lot to be able to build from. Like you can to have the foundation this quickly. That's, that's very, very encouraging. I am curious. Like Sean Johnson's done all the kicking and it's a bit of a Mitch Moses, mm. Nathan Cleary situation where Sean Johnson's just trying to land the ball 10 meters out from the opposition try line. And the Warriors just get up and start smashing blokes in defense. Like, that is what is happening. I'd love to see Sean Johnson find open pastures, but that's not the plan. The plan is just land it in the 10-meter zone, smash him. Ronald Volkman, again, he's got the most kicking meters in New South Wales Cup. So I'm curious about the balance of kicking there. It's just a small detail. Timare Martin wasn't doing much kicking, and it's all good because Sean Johnson's just doing a 50-meter bomb downfield, smashing defense. Ronald Volkman might be able to add something, but he doesn't need to because like he's just got to play his role. One other thing I want to highlight this round is the Kiwi NRL players named to start at prop. We got the Roosters have Jared Wadea Hargraves, the Eels they got Northlands Widamu Greg, Raiders have Joseph Tarpany, Panthers have Moses Liotta and James Fisher Harris, Knights they got Leo Thompson. Dolphins have Jesse Bromwich and Herman Essaese, Mangadis Jr. Sharks have Hamlin Uele. Warriors have Bunty Arfoa. Cowboys have Griffin Neen. So, Widamu Greg starting for the Eels, which is a good bump for him. And in recent weeks, we've had Griffin Neem and Leo Thompson promoted to starting roles. Also, Herman Essaese might be playing his first game for the Dolphins, and he's locked in as a starter. So, just a funky Kiwi NRL wrinkle for the season. Well, early in the season. Shall we get into some cricket? Well, you got you are you are about to blow. Uh, let's, let's do some cricket. I don't particularly have any other things to say about the Warriors being a solid team. It's good. It's just good. Let's see them keep doing that. Um, 
where's our cricket boundaries for trophy final i imagine right oh no the black caps are pretty solid team you know black caps are decent yeah i won't argue the, with that um so the black caps their second odi against sri lanka was washed out third odi is being played tomorrow in hamilton yeah friday as we said on tuesday it's pretty good b grade black caps team smoke sri lanka in the first odi easy mahi there no wakan furries and of course variety show mentioned some rachan ravindra stats curious to see what he can do with the bat as far as forward trophy goes we had a championship performance from josh clarkson he went nuts in the Ford Trophy final, he took three wickets and he hit 111 not out. And this is really interesting because this is probably the best month of Josh Clarkson's career. Which, for context, right? Josh Clarkson, 111 in one game. This Ford Trophy season, he had 193 runs. So he had 82 runs prior to the final. Then he went nuts. And Central are also pl- about to play one last Plunkett Shield game against Auckland. It's a catch-up game. But if Central win this game, I'm not sure about the exact science of the point system, but there's a fair chance they will win the Plunkett Shield championship. And they are only in that position because Josh Clarkson has been scoring runs in the Plunkett Shield. His last Two Plunkett Shield games, he's had scores of 119, 44 not out, 62, 30 not out. Then he hit the Ford Trophy century, and that was the 119 in the Plunkett Shield. That was his first first class century. He's only played 14 games, while he's played 78 T20 games, 63 list day games. So Central competing for a Plunkett Shield championship in large part thanks to Josh Clarkson scoring a lot of runs. After they just won the Ford Trophy because Josh Clarkson scored a lot of runs, and so much else was happening. In the Tom Brose was a leader; he had a good knock. Uh, Cole McConchie had a fifty-plus score as well. A lot of other stuff was happening that we can talk about in a jiffy. But Josh Clarkson has championship mana right now, and when I think about those type of performances, Mitchell Santner has led Northern to back-to-back. Super Smash Championships, which like solidifies his status as one of the best cricketers in New Zealand. The low-key wrinkle of that in a similar vein as the Josh Clarkson stuff is Cartonet Clark. Because Cartonet Clark has scored a lot of runs in Super Smash Finals games, elimination final, final, in back-to-back championships as one of the friskiest young hitters in Aotearoa and I did have Josh Clarkson as one of the best young sluggers in Aotearoa over the last five years. I think he got surpassed by Finellan at some point. Finellan opening batter. Josh Clarkson's more of a middle order all-rounder. Although he hasn't bowled a lot. You know, like he's it, his wickets in the Ford Trophy final were quite surprising because he hasn't bowled a lot over the course of his career. But Cartonet Clark's in that mold as well. There's some hype, like we were talking about this over the summer, the hyper aggressive young batters. And Cartonet Clark is one of them. Finn Allen's another one of them. I think Josh Clarkson is certainly one of them. He's been on the scene for a bit longer, but he's now starting to cash in on his talent. I don't have him, like he's a bit down the Black Caps pecking order. 
which is no fault of his own because it's like, okay, in that zone you're competing with Glenn Phillips and Jimmy Neesham and those type of characters. Like, there's, uh, New Zealand cricket's quite good, got a, quite a lot of depth, so it's not an automatic thing that he should be there, but all he can do is smash runs, and he's doing that. And if he keeps doing that, then he will knock on the door of Black Cap selection. But at the moment, he is in a career-best zone across two different formats. He's got a T20 batting strike rate of 150. So, you know, he does some super smash things as well. Um, but he's in a fantastic zone of form. And I'm curious how that looks in the Plunkett Shield, the last game. Not the final of the Plunkett Shield, but the last game and whether he can impact that and really solidify himself as one of the best domestic cricketers coming up right now. He, he wasn't selected in the Aotearoa A team, which is a four-day series against Australia A. So he's kind of... Yeah, he needs more consistency to really break into that echelon of cricketers, but um, if you're winning championships and you're putting in big performances in these clutch games, you're not far off. Yeah, Josh Clarkson is a a really interesting dude because he's it, it does feel like he's he's been around for a little while. Mostly as a T Twenty player, he's starting to get a lot more of those um, Plunkett Shield games as well. But it it does feel like he's been a renowned hitter for a few years. He hasn't necessarily been a renowned performer up until quite recently. So it is it is one of those cases where it's like, and I think they they said on the thing he's like twenty six now. So He's about the age where guys tend to start figuring this stuff out. Like this is this is what I'm good at. This is how I succeed, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He, yeah, he doesn't seem like the dude who's who's got the um, the what do you call it? like the backlog of um, of performances to be able to command necessarily NZA selection quite yet. But then he also. That's kind of not the point, is it? The point is that he's he's coming off a couple of extremely good performances in recent times, so like this this might just be the the month that flicks the switch and be like, okay, I can do this. Like that, just that little um, you know, opening of the door or whatever of just like I I actually can just come in at forty forty something for four in a, in a four trophy final and smack a 70-ball century and then keep going a little bit after that to make sure the the winning runs are achieved. Um, incredible stuff. And even even if he doesn't, I mean, that's like... That's already a legendary domestic cricket performance on its own. Like, that's, that's one you can hang your head on the rest of your life. Um, I'm looking at the Plunkett Shield table, and there's 14 points between Canterbury in first and Central in second. So you don't get any points for losing or even for drawing, but you do get first innings points, um, 12 points for a win. So CD would win. The outright win isn't enough. They do need to stack up some bonus points, but generally teams that win will get those bonus points. It's about how much you achieve in the first 110 overs of the first innings. So if you score uh, 350 runs, that's four points. 300 is three, 250 is two. So... Basically, they just need to either um, the either it's going to be a low scoring game or a high scoring game or some somewhere in between. But they just got to stack up enough. Like what did I say? Um, yeah, fourteen point difference, twelve points for the win. They just need a couple of bonus points on top of that to win. Um, two won't be enough because I think Canterbury have a considerably better net run rate. 
but you know they just they're just going to have to score three three hundred and fifty plus runs that better than you know three to four runs and over they'll do the business as long as they go on to win. If they don't win, they won't win the title though because there won't be enough points. So that's the that's the thing that Canterbury are we cheering for is Auckland to come up with the old the upset or rain <laughs> rain will do the trick. The tricky thing for Central is they will be probably be without Tom Bruce, mm. Brett Randall, Doug Bracewell, um, as they are part of the Aotearoa A team. So it's going to be tricky, but that's like Clarkson's going to be there. Is there going to be someone else? Like I think AJS Patel's in that A team as well, so he's not going to be there, but they do have Jaden Lennox. He's a good spinner. Um, you've got some other good cricketers there. Brad Shemulian. Probably second in the underground king rankings behind Barrett Popley right now. Um, so it's going to be tricky for Central just considering the quality that has been called up to the Aotearoa A team. Like they might be able to finagle their way into like you don't need to go just yet, you know. Like maybe we can keep you around for a game, but um, yeah, will be interesting. And what you're saying about Clarkson, like Clarkson, as I said, he's only played. 14 first class games since his debut in 2015 the 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 not necessarily young but the new players to the Aotearoa A team they're all format cricketers right now and for a lot of them so Ashok he wasn't an all format cricketer last season he's played all formats this season consistently now he's in the Aotearoa A team Willow Rourke has been a consistent all-format performer in the best seam attack in Aotearoa at Canterbury. So now he's been promoted. Brett Randall left Northern Districts to go to Central Districts to become an all-format player. Now he's in the A squad. Mitch Hay has forced his way in as a batter. I think he's a wicketkeeper, but they have Cam Fletcher there, who's also in the A squad. And Mitch Hay didn't smash a lot of runs in the Ford Trophy, but he has scored a lot of runs in the Plunker Shield. He did play Super Smash. He's an all-format player. So I think the what gets you to the next level is performing well enough to at least be selected in all three formats for your team. If, if you're not good enough to crack one of the formats, that's going to hurt your your case for higher selection. I think the the thing for Josh Clarkson now is to perform in all formats consistently over a long period of time. But the new guys to the Aotearoa A team, they are guys who have performed at a higher level in all three formats this season. And that I think that is the key factor in their selection. Yeah, the, I guess the domestic scene here, just it's not big enough that someone can be that good at T20 cricket and also not be one of the better... Plunkett Shield options for a province, um, and you know there's there's only so many domestic contracts to go around as well. So the franchises will want that out of their players, and it just yeah it it might not mean they can translate that up to all formats internationally or even for NZA stuff. But domestically speaking, if you're that good at one of them, you should be good enough at most of them because we're really just talking about how good you are as a cricketer full stop rather than how good you are as a T20 player or as a four-day player. It's just how good are you at cricket, basically. And I think like a more 
poignant way of saying that is someone else is an all-format performer, scoring a lot yeah. of runs, taking a lot of wickets. So if you're not doing it, someone else is doing it, that's what's going to give them selection. Because all those young dudes, they need to be scoring more runs than Tom Bruce, Cole McConchie, Robbie O'Donnell. Like, those are the lads you need to be outperforming. Um, and they play all three formats. They have all dominated a format at some point in the last few years. And that's the baseline. It's like, that's the Kiwi cricketing depth right there. Like, you need to be doing this to get to here. It's not good enough just to be a T20 cricketer. Like, you can twist it as to, like, we don't have the depth across... We don't have the playing population. Like, that's true. But a different perspective is, to be better than those people, you need need to be doing at least what they're doing. And... When it gets into like the Black Caps depth chart, there are a lot of players, yeah, they might not hit the ball as hard as Clarkson. They might not smack it around or have his natural cricketing talent that he clearly has. But there's a bunch of lads who have scored a lot more runs than him. There's a bunch of lads who have scored a lot more, taken a lot more wickets. And if he's in the all-rounder ranks, there's a lot of lads who have done both more consistently than he has. And that's what Clarkson needs to get to and that's how we learn about the strength of Kiwi cricket is by following that trajectory because yeah someone else is scoring runs and taking wickets and they basically deserve that shot more than you do and the black caps are not um I mean this is the highest aspect of that like the top rung of the ladder but um the black caps we know very clearly are not averse to uh asking players to do a different role when they get there than what they've done beforehand. Like Michael Bracewell was not a spinning all-rounder when he, you know, dominated for Wellington. Um, Rachin Ravindra is doing his job now. He also not a spinning all-rounder. He's a batter who can bowl a bit of spin, but they, they like a bit of versatility. They like a bit of get in where you fit in kind of thing. Um, picking spinners based on their batting abilities is, is one example of that. I it's, think you're being a bit rough on Ravindra. Like he's an all-rounder. He's certainly developing into one. He wasn't when they first picked him for the test squad. Like when they oh, first picked bowling. him for the test he was... squad, he, he was bowling, but he had a first-class average of like a hundred with the ball. He's taken wickets since then, including for NZA. Like he's getting there. I think we know that Ravindra's first getting in the Black Caps was a little bit of like a let's accelerate the process rather than he's he's ready. He's got the runs and wickets in the bank but, sort of thing. But there's a clear difference between him and Bracewell. Ravindra's been bowling spin at every well, level yeah, that's true. coming up. So like, whereas Bracewell flirted with spin yeah. until he really settled on like, I want to get better at this and burst my way in. The thing about Ravindra, he's an opening batter, batting down the order, which you like. If you want to be a lower order Black Caps batter, you need to be scoring more runs than Wellington's best batter. Yeah, that's the standard. That is the level you need to be performing. So, Josh Clarkson's competing for that slot, right? Hmm. Six or seven in the ODI team, that kind of role, bit of an all rounder. Colin de Grand homie ish. Jimmy Nishimi, yeah. Well, Rajan Ravindra bowls spin, and he's Wellington's best batter. So, you got to be doing something better than that to get into that role. And I think, yeah, that's just interesting. 
sorry to interrupt you. But... No, it's a it's a valid point. It is an interesting thing, and I don't. I I have been frustrated with that from a the Black Caps selection perspective in the past, but frustrated on like individual basis of maybe picking the wrong dude to do that kind of to do something like that on on the whole seeing the forest through the trees so to speak seeing the flowers through the um through the weeds seeing the avocados through the leaves on the tree um i shout out to the limes as well like definitely lime, absolutely um yeah even just the unripe lemons can can get you sometimes particularly in a particularly in the warmer climates where the where the leaves might get a bit of natural yellowing themselves um i yeah i i think on the the wider perspective of that sort of selection theory i don't think it's the wrong thing at all i actually think it's quite a creative um way of overcoming the fact that the black caps are picking from the smallest um, pool of domestic players of any major test playing nation i think that's uh that's one aspect in which they've been very good at it's you can't pick a specialist for every role but you can pick good cricketers who are adaptable and versatile and it's just a matter of identifying the right ones for the right spot and it might be that there's multiple right ones for multiple right spots and then you just got to pick one like you just gotta, someone who's really deserving might not get as many games as they should because there's enough players um and the, it's just enough players going around competing for the same thing. And so it goes. I guess it's worse than most of the county players in England who will never play for England who are, who could potentially dominate it at the New Zealand level as well. That's just their bad luck for being born over there or whatever. Like you can't... I mean, India is probably stacked with... They could pick six or seven test teams if they had the resources to to nurture all the players like players available at certain ages through coming through but i don't know i just think it's a it first of all it's a it's a worthy way of the black caps shortcutting a um a problem and almost turning it into a strength it's also just the way it is as well like regardless of um idea that this that's just kind of how they like to pick their squads so players do need to realize that yeah you're you might be a specialist number six who can bowl a bit and hit some mean sixes, but you're not only competing against players of the same thing. If you want to play for the Black Caps, you're competing against everyone who can bat and bowl. With you know, the openers can be Rajin Ravindra can be, just take your spot, even though he's an opener domestically. And on the flip side, might be someone like Will Will Young or Tom Blundell earlier on in his in his Test career, where it's like you might yourself be the one in that position to try a different role in order to make it in because it, you, you get in where you fit in kind of thing. It's just a matter of nurturing the best cricketers. And we see that from the Black Caps. We are also seeing that relatively clearly, I think, which is a good thing. Like it, there is there is consistency throughout the levels of doing the same thing, which is how it needs to be, I think. you you got to at least have that... Um, you got to have that same structure throughout if you want people to be able to if you want the pipelines to work basically the you got to you got to attach them right you got to have them all pointing in the right direction and that's why like no domestic cricketer is kicked like you like um what am i trying to say all these domestic cricketers are kiwi lads mm. like they all know what's happening this is a Kiwi methodology. This is quintessential Kiwi sports. 
in tune with any other quintessential Kiwi sports thing you want to throw up, because none of these domestic cricketers are dickheads. They're not like, oh, what the f- well, why is Will Young selected ahead of me? Like, no, to be in that team, to get into that team culture, to be a part of the system, you got to be a good bloke. you got to be team first. got to be um, willing to do whatever it takes. you got to be willing to be 12th man for five test series in a row just to wait for your opportunity. Those are Kiwi sports things, and as long as you're willing to buy into the team and the team's success, it's fine. No domestic cricketer, I don't think, operates outside that. So, like, it, it's like, oh, yeah, this is how we make up the the gap, but it's also, yeah. no, this is Kiwis playing cricket. Like, this is what we do. Like, I am humbled enough to see that they are a better cricketer than me, that I need to get better, that my team's success propels me forward. Because when you go to Canterbury, big up Central Districts for the Ford Trophy Championship, there's a real interesting thing happening with Canterbury because... Some of these black caps who are playing right now. Matt Henry, five wickets at 21, average 3.1 RPO. He also hit 57 runs at a strike rate of 178. Good for him. Chad Bowes, he's in the black caps. Four trophy this season, 373 runs, stri- uh, average of 47, strike rate of 103. As I said last week, Plunkett Shield strike rate over 100. Each Sodi. He's got 67 runs in two innings. And he's got four wickets at 20.5 average. Tom Latham. He hit a half century, averaging 39. Henry Shipley's in the Black Caps. 13 wickets and an average of 14. Like, this is a Black Caps B team, but all these dudes are still among the best domestic cricket performers, right? Like Rajan Ravindra, he's Wellington's best batter. Blair Tickner. Worked his way into the Black Caps test team. He's in this ODI group right now. Henry Nichols can't quite say the same about him because everyone kind of overlooked the fact that he wasn't scoring a lot of runs in domestic cricket as well as his lean patch for the Black Caps. But what do you know? Like, he is only in this team after the players leave. So it's like, it's understandable. He's down in the depth. Uh, Mark Chapman's in a similar boat. Not fantastic summer. So then he's the next tier below. But all these Canterbury lads, uh, Willow Rourke, into the Aotearoa squad. Ford Trophy this summer, 13 wickets and an average of 21. Pretty good. Like, Reese Mariu, straight away into Plunkett Shield, scoring runs. Mitch Hay, he's got like six half centuries in as many games in the Plunkett Shield this season. Like, through the Canterbury example, we can see that the players earning their way into the Black Caps setup are well deserving of their of their standing and their position. So even if like Ben Lister, he's a lefty who takes wickets at a good average. Like all these dudes have something you can fall back on as like, yeah, they're a good cricketer. And they're doing well. And then you've got all these other players who aren't at that Aotearoa level, like a Josh Clarkson, like a Brad Shamillion, like waiting hunting for their opportunities. So for a country, well, Aotearoa is the best sporting nation in the world. We know that for sure. And that is evident in, you know, our population base, our standing in the world of cricket. 
and we've got some fantastic cricketers on the in the system in the pipelines and it's all there for you to see in the domestic landscape and in this upcoming Aotearoa A series against the Aussies football yeah I, I was football. I was like I was pretty impressed with what I saw from the All Whites overall we talked about this in the Patreon podcast on Tuesday I like I found I just like we we talked about this specific point on in the Patreon podcast as well. I found it interesting how the All Whites could roll through two different games, two different situations, two different styles of football that they played or they were forced to play, and you saw a lot of different players used. Part of that, because we all know, like yeah. You watch some of that stuff in the second game with Joe Bell, Staminich, Marco Rojas, Garbutt coming off the bench, all that stuff was super funky. But uh, focusing on a on a angle here, some of the most rugged performers and the most steady performers were Wellington Phoenix players. Not necessarily, like, shout out T-Pain. I don't know if he was one of the best players, but to me, he epitomizes all whites football right now and the culture they're building. Again, same with the Black Caps. Like, Tim Payne is willing to do anything for his team. He's willing to play any role. He's willing to take all the free kicks for his team. That's beautiful T Payne stuff. And I actually see a lot of similarities across a lot of these Aotearoa sports teams as far as their Kiwi vibes go. Most notably, the all whites over the last week. And. Is there anything else apart from the Phoenix angle that you've thought about with the All Whites since that Patreon podcast over the last few days before we do kind of assess where the Wellington Phoenix are at with some of the All Whites? Um, since that show? Not massively. I mean, I, I, I do find that the series has a nice warm glow about it. Like It's one of those things where they weren't at their best in the first game. The red card didn't help and probably stopped them from being able to get a roll on in the latter stages. Although I also think the red card sort of did help them in a funny way because it, it forced them to try with the back four and then they brought on Clayton Lewis for a third midfielder. Saw that having an extra guy in the middle of the park was helping them break China down a little bit more and then adjusted in the second game. And I think that's where the, like, you, you sort of, if you look at the two games in isolation, then one game looks disappointing and one game looks really good. If you look at the series as a whole, then you have those two things, but you also have the process between the two of them, like the link, which is that they fixed the things that weren't working in the first game. They fixed them in the second game. That's beautiful. Like that's 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 how you should be assessing these tours. That's how a team should be um, approaching these tours. Is you're playing the same team twice it's almost like the second game is going to be the more reflective because the first one, we didn't know what to expect from China. It was a pretty valid point that you made on the, in the Patreon thing is we didn't, we didn't know what China were going to do. They also didn't know what we were going to do necessarily. They probably had a little bit more video of us because we'd had a very high profile game against Costa Rica in the world cup qualifiers recently, but Chris Wood didn't play. So they didn't know what Max Marta or Alex Grieve were going to do in place of him. There was, a few different tweaks in the team throughout, like a couple play other players. Bill Tuiloma wasn't there, so they take that takes away a quite obvious set piece um, strategy. Like it's the second game where you start to see, okay, how do the two teams adjust to each other? Like, what did they see from the first game? What did they change for the second game? 
and they always won that hands down. Like the, I know it was only two one in the end, but it should have really been three nil. They let a goal in at the very, pretty much with a minute to go in the series, basically a, a goal at a point where they didn't, China didn't have time to be able to score a second. Like it was only going to be a consolation at that point. And you could kind of see the way no one really tracked the runner into the into the area there. Maybe it was one of those like two games in a short amount of time after a lot of travel uh, after a lot of travel to get there, like tired legs, guys maybe taking shortcuts with the game in the bag that they wouldn't have done at any other point. And I'm sure that'll probably be something that a, a coach, um, be it Baisley or whoever comes in next, or even Ollie Sale in the moment, didn't look too happy to lose his clean sheet there. Um, sort of things you address but also it's like they'd they'd done the job like it was an inconsequential goal that they conceded they just i don't know they they they, the the difference between the first game and the second game doesn't leave me upset in any way at how the first game didn't go to plan it makes me just like pleased to see how well they adjusted the second time around and i think that is definitely the more telling of the two games because of the fact that the teams had had a chance to test each other out and in that light i find it hard not to be very positive about um just getting back to the positivity really of what we first had when this team hadn't played for like 500 days and they were starting to get up and going again and it was like yeah when this when this all white team starts playing again we're going to be able to see like joe bell marco stamanich libby kache um etc uh, matt garbett all these dudes playing together at the same time in the same team that was really exciting when it was hypothetical and then we started to see them not quite get the results certainly not scoring the goals that they would have liked for that but I just see that especially now with the benefit of hindsight I just see that as like the natural growth of a team particularly a team with a lot of young players in key roles it's like it's gonna take some time to get there it's gonna you're not gonna be um I mean, hypothetically speaking, if let's get a comparison go. If the Warriors finished ninth this season, how would you how would you describe that? Um, like in a sentence, as like, how would you feel about that? The Warriors finished ninth this particular season, the start of a rebuild under a new coach. Fine. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Right. So, how would you feel if they finished ninth in three seasons' time, where they've had more time, more transfers, more work with the coach and still are not cracking yeah. the top eight it's different right so the, yeah. the the all whites not the all whites not hitting their stride straight away just feels like that natural progression right and then if they're still struggling to score goals and um can't get past the team in sort of a costa rica level of play by the time the next world cup comes around we might have issues at the moment it's just it's just the way these things evolve and I, I don't see that as being anything different that should have shaken up the trajectory we have for this yeah. team. Like they're they're moving in one direction and people should be pretty know, people should be pretty chuffed about the state of the yeah. always at the moment, I think. I don't see how you can't be chuffed about the state of the always. But the we did seem to differ on like because I just thought and again, like the two different game situations. Yeah, there was the red card in the first game, but I'm still firmly believing they approached the first game with a different plan to the second game. And regardless of like how that plan worked and how that plan changed, you're seeing an all-white squad that can perform against the decent international team in a variety of different ways because that's how you're going to have to win the bigger games is 
can you hold on in a defensive game? Can you chase goals? And I think the most important thing for the All-Whites and any other team, the Black Caps, Warriors, Phoenix, All Blacks, like whatever team you want to put in there, the White Ferns, they need to win some games, whatever, the Football Ferns. To win games in the World Tournaments, you need to be able to win games in different ways. Because New Zealand's never going to be a dominant force. Like, if the Kiwis come up against Australia Kangaroos, it's not going to be a razzle-dazzle 30 to nil. It's going to be a 10-12. It's going to be an 8-6 type of game. And the Kiwis, with all that talent, need to be able to win those type of games. For the All-Whites to progress, yeah, they need to score goals, but they also need to be able to stop goals against better teams. And being able to cover all those different types of performances is really important. And I think that was my takeaway from the China series is they did that. They played different styles. They used different players. They had um, adversity with the red card. And it was just a wide variety of contributions and performances and tactics, which I don't know. I enjoyed it. But flying into the Wellington Phoenix, there was a lot of Wellington Phoenix players in that game or in both games how do you have any kind of takeaways as to how those players performed coming into wellington phoenix football this weekend we've got men's and women's wellington phoenix footy happening but just quickly on the men what from that all whites series against china has you curious moving into wellington phoenix mode well, I did feel watching that that there is quite a bit of a difference between the Phoenix players and the non-Phoenix players, but that's to be expected, right? The, of course, Michael Stamenich, having played Champions League against Manchester City not so long ago, is going to be a better performer than Alex Rufer, who plays, you know, he's coming back from a long-term injury and is just sort of like the do-your-job guy at the base of the Wellington Phoenix. Like, of course, there's levels to that. Um, so the, there's a difference, bet- like there's a clear difference in quality, but also how many players do people think we have available, like playing professionally? You know, you need the Phoenix players to bulk it out to an extent. And if a few more of those guys are injured, then a few more of the Phoenix types are going to have to step up and and fill the gap. And, you know, I think this, in particular, I thought Ollie Sale was, I mentioned at the start, didn't I? I thought Ollie Sale was very good, apart from the incident with the red card. I think that is great momentum for him, great confidence for him leading into the rest of the A-League season. But Callan Elliott had a had a bright debut. Um, actually thought they probably could have used him a little bit more. They, they kind of didn't. I, it's understandable why you'd play more through Kakachi's flank than Elliott's flank, but um, I think Callan Elliott was very tidy there, and it's, he'll also be taking plenty from that, having now, you know, you can now say he's a captain's a national um, player. Um Costa Barbarossa's finishing remains an issue. <laughs> it's been an issue all season for the Phoenix, and there were one or two instances in the thing. But I also I, I feel like people judge Costa too harshly on the finishing as well, because he's also like, his movement off the ball is so good. He's a very clever player. He knows how to facilitate stuff, and he gets into positions that others wouldn't have, which means he misses chances that others wouldn't get to miss in the first place because they wouldn't get there. So, I mean, I don't, I really like Costa as a player, and I don't, I don't, like to be too harsh on him but he does you know there's been a few of them this season where you just got to put the ball in the net you know you just you just got to do the thing um but i don't know i had tim Payne. i thought actually i thought tim Payne was very sketchy in the first game it was a few dodgy passes along the way 
Once he played right back, funnily enough, considering he's mostly been centre back this season for the Phoenix and has been probably the most consistent centre back actually, I, I, I would argue. I'd say he's been more consistent than Scott Wooden, um, although Wooden's had a few injuries. So. But uh, I thought in the second game at right back, Tim Payne was really handy. So you know they they got contributions out of those guys as well. It's not just that they're the Phoenix guys and Clayton Lewis off the bench. Clayton Lewis looked really bright in both games coming off the bench. He's only played once for the Phoenix since he came back from injury. So this is all this is all good value for the Knicks leading into the rest of the season where I think they've got six games to go. They're six points off second, um three points off third, goal difference off fourth. Currently sitting fifth, but there's about a four-point buffer between fifth and sixth. So they're in a position where they shouldn't drop out of the playoff spots, the top six. But you want to, ideally, you want to get first or second, because then you get a bye through the first round. If not that, you want to get third or fourth, because then you get a home game in the first round. That's, I think, what the Knicks should be targeting. They've got Melbourne victory this weekend at home. They're the bottom of the table team. I think the break, the international break, probably came at a good time, partly because some of those international players, I think, will be really buoyed from having played in a victorious all-white squad. I think that's a, something they can certainly build off, particularly with some of those guys who I mentioned who had good performances. I think also some of the others will probably be, particularly a few of those um, import players, definitely will benefit from just having a week off. I think that's, at this stage of the season, something a few of them very much needed. Um, and it's... Yeah, it's full steam ahead to the finish line from this point onwards for the for the Phoenix, and there's uh, so much to play for. We potentially a Fuktalai's last season in charge, so it's really like all chips on the table um, now or never for this team. And they they could be in a better platform, like they they could have capitalized better throughout the season to be in a higher position than they are. But all things considered they're still in a pretty good place. Fifth on the table with the potential to move up a couple more spots if they can really finish strong. Exciting times. Like, this is this is big focus on the Wellington Phoenix from here on out, I reckon. Yeah, get rid of all the caveats. Like, the Wellington Phoenix are fun. They're good. Like, it's fantastic. Yeah, they are. Wellington Phoenix woman, they have had a loss and a win recently. What's happening with the Wellington Phoenix woman? And we've also had a football ferns squad announced. I'm not sure if there's any crossover there. But, like, how are you viewing the Wellington Phoenix woman? I think they've got their last game coming up this weekend. So is there anything you're looking for there, specifically with the football ferns in mind? Yeah, last game, also against Melbourne Victory on the weekend. A tough one, because Victory need to win to make the top four, pretty much. However, if the Phoenix do win, if they get the upset, and if top of the table Sydney are able to beat or even just draw with Newcastle, I think, think i'm not sure on the goal differences they can not finish last which would be cool considering they seem to have blown their chance of not finishing last when they lost to newcastle last week but then the you know the old midweeker against adelaide millie clegg scores a double um pretty sure she was offside for the first goal and the second one was a deflection but who cares a goal is a goal especially for this team who's had to work really hard to be able to score anything and um that is the main reason why they're last it's not because they're playing so much poorly there have been worse teams than them they just they're not as clinical as other teams. They don't have like an import striker, for example, who can turn some of their chances into goals and give them like the the tangible reward for it. So, I mean, big game, huge game in that in that regard. Um, exciting game as well, and definitely, definitely there is some crossover because Millie Clegg, on the same day she scored a match winning double in Adelaide, got called up for the Football Ferns for the first time. 
and I I I want to be careful about like calling up a 17 year old for this for a team that's not scoring many goals like I don't want to suggest in any way shape or form that she's the answer to their problems because realistically she you know she's playing her first professional season she's still at high school um she's I mean I've already written a big old piece a few like a couple months ago about how she's pretty much like a unicorn prospect for Kiwi football but doesn't mean she's ready to lead the football ferns front line or anything like that she might be ready to like you know inject a little bit of fun off the bench for the last 10 minutes when they're chasing a goal just as a sort of like roll of the dice kind of option but I don't like I don't want to put too many expectations on her however I I think the timing is right. Like I, I, I always assumed she would probably get called up before the World Cup. This was the opportunity. I completely agree with the coach and not wanting to call her up during the season. Like the season finishes on the weekend, we've got to that point. Then you start thinking about other stuff. Like let's not crowd her out and just, um, especially after I think last year was an extremely busy year for her because she was playing. Uh, she finished it playing for the Wellington Phoenix. She also played under 20s. She played under 17s, World Cups for both of those, as well as preparation warm ups. She played FFDP stuff or A League offseason, whatever they're calling it now, for a lot of the start of the year. She was also aligned with Auckland United, where she played a couple of games in the National League. She also played a, and set up the winning goal in the Kate Shepard Cup final. Like, she's had a very, very, very busy 12 months, 18 months even there's only so much you should be putting on someone's plate like that. So I don't, like, you know, reservations about any kind of expectation, but I do think it's a nice time for her to be integrated into that team. Don't expect her to be like the savior or anything like that. This is, it's not quite Sean Johnson areas, but there's a similar crossover idea. Um, a couple months out from the world cup, really the football phones can only afford to make, minor changes to their team at this stage you gotta you just you gotta ride or die with what you got and because you don't have time to do be doing anything drastic um but that's where that this squad is quite exciting that they've named because it sort of like Clegg is the main introduction Jackie Hand's also coming back from injury but it's it, with the addition of Clegg that's nice what you really needed to see more than anything though was just players who have been injured being picked and available and you've got that because Rebecca Stott didn't play last time, even though she was picked. Essen and Leet both were selected, but um, were ruled out of the squad before traveling. Uh, CJ Bod and Ali Riley played the first game, but none of the other games. Um, the, Olivia Chance didn't play the third of their three games. Like there's Jackie Hand wasn't in the squad as all. She's she's back in there now. Like all these players who are key players for them. Most of these, most of the ones that I just listed there. Key players. If you lose your key players, you're not going to be as good. If you have your key players, you will be better because they're your best players. The best players are back. That's the most important thing we could have got for the football ferns. Chuck on a little bit of Millie Clegg, fun bit of icing on the cake there. I don't know. They've had a little bit of a shakeup with their last tour. They've now got that out of the way. They've dealt. They've got a more realistic idea of where they're at. And now they go and try win some games as a response. We saw the All-Whites make a response from game one to game two. Now the football fans have got to make a response from one tour to the next. There's still time. They're all they're all right. It's, it's no need to panic. Pick up yourself. That is the Niche Cast. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more podcasts next week. Otherwise, check in the Niche Cash, the Niche-Cash.com, the email, the Patreon. It's all there for you. Big up. Care cards. Stay beautiful. Cha-cha.